I swear to God, I'm not wearing just my underwear right now. This is Beth. Hi, this is Beth Ditto from The Gossip, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. No, yeah, this is the best thing in the world. <laughs> you guys are going to be blown away. Hey there. Happy New Year. My name is Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report, the very first Arts Report's for 2009. Today is Wednesday, January 6th. I'm Tracy Fuller, as I said, and I'm really glad to be here again. All right, I have a jam-packed show ready for you today, and for the first time, the Arts Report will be one hour long. Yes, that's right. I did so well last year that um, they've given me 30 extra minutes to fill with every manner of arts and culture material that I can come up with. So I'm going to try and do my best and hopefully the next half hour will be a delight for both you and me. But first, I've got a little bit of housekeeping from 2008 to finish up. Yes, my last two shows of 2008 were sort of um, snowed in, let's say. The sub was closed long before I was able to get in here to the booth, and so my last two shows never ended up happening. As a result, I have a bunch of material left over from my contributors and from myself that I do want to get on the air because I, I think it's interesting and I think you'll enjoy it. So um, I'm going to start off today with, um, uh, with one piece that goes way back to sort of the beginning of, well, middle of December. On uh, December 15th, actually, our multi-talented Discorder editor, Jordi Yao, headed out to this Pacific Cinematheque with his digital recorder to catch Cartoon Express, a traveling roadshow of animated videos and multimedia performances. The traveling roadshow ran from August 29th to December 19th, and the show toured across the U.S. and Canada, visiting over 50 galleries, universities, and festivals. A number of talented film and video artists were involved, and Jordi headed out and brought back this report for the Arts Report. Hello. Hello. Chris, did you turn your time on? Yes. I'm Peter. I'm Christopher. Our band is called Hooliganship, and uh, this is the very last show of this tour. We, we left for tour in August, and we ended up here. So this is a really special one for us and for you guys. Because it's our last show, and because we've come up to Vancouver and done our Cartoon Express show a few times, we put together a brand new program. Hooliganship are pretty rad. They played at um, Cartoon Express, which is an exposition of experimental cartoons which took place at Pacific Cinematheque. Um, they were some of the weirdest and coolest uh, cart animations that I have seen in 
a long time. If you're into animation, you, sh you should try and check out Cartoon Express. There were stop motion surrealist graffiti, which had like guys coming out of guys' heads and like running along walls while cars drove by. Um, like the, the graffiti was animated, but the environment was not. There was some like just sort of like abstract, swirling, pinky, green colors that sort of like swirled in while Rambo showed up. It was all really interesting, and Hooliganship uh, played right before uh, they showed a whole bunch of cartoons that was separate. But Hooliganship, who uh, brought Cartoon Express to Vancouver, they're from Portland, a duo, um, they played for the first 20 minutes while some animations went on in the background and they interacted with them. There was like a big stage and it was probably one of the coolest performances I've, I've seen this year. Um, they dressed in like these big neon colors and they had these like really, they always looked like really excited or really scared or they had like crazy facial expressions going on. And then afterwards we got to watch a whole bunch of uh, animated like experimental cartoons. One of the cartoons that was shown at the night was created by local animators, uh, the Crystal Beard Collective. I caught up with uh, Crystal Beard a couple days afterwards and this is the interview. www.crystalbeard.com I first met Hooligan Ship in 2005 when they did their first Cartoon Express tour and uh, we went for dinner and pretty much became good friends after that and um, I've kept a good connection yeah. for the past three years so this time they came by and stayed at our house and uh, Asked us to ask me and Stu, who are in Crystal Beard, to yeah. contribute, right? Something. So we made a new animation and gave it to them. Right. So could you um, describe your animation for people who haven't seen it? Okay. Well, I'll try. I'll uh, try to, anyways. Yeah. Let's see here. Well, basically, we just want to make everything we make is like really uh, spur of the moment, sort of very. Uh, there's no pre-planning, per se, so everything that is created, we just kind of create on the spot together. It's like, oh, it'd be cool if we had uh, a house that starts melting and there's two Ren and Stimpy-ish characters inside. And, uh, we should grab audio from Hello Kitty and have them, you know, lip sync to Hello Kitty and then turn that into this big adventure and we'll have a mountain. Uh, you know, three computer animated mountain like come alive and start walking. And what, what was the Hello Kitty uh, dialogue like? Um, I'm bored. Uh, <laughs> what else? Let's go on an adventure. I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's really, really. It's just really bad. And yeah. Where did you find it? Uh, off the internet. Everything's illegal that we do, so yeah. we want to make sure that we could possibly go to jail with every animation we do. I do a lot of like illustrative work for people, but I also make sure to keep my own practice separate and focus on that. And I work with other collectives like the Arbor Lake School in Calgary, who are a group of kids.
I've made videos with, and we have an upcoming show at Little Mountain Studios in March. Your, like, your stuff is a lot very, it looks like children's books, but usually more detailed or grotesque. Yeah. Uh, That's not really a question. I think a lot of my art is derivative from when I was a child, and I think a lot of good artists still retain that sort of innocence or whatever, nativity. But refine it. So uh, Ben from Crystal Beard said that he's planning on uh, at least trying to put together some new animation for up for Cartoon Express again. Uh, if anyone wanted to see your animation, where where could they see it again, Ben? www.crystalbeard.com. That's right. And as a final note, Cartoon Express will be coming back to town in January. Uh, once again at Pacific Cinema Tech. Hooligan Ship announced it at the at the theater that night. And you should go you should try and make it out and check it out because it is some of the most interesting animation you will ever see. Unless you see all sorts of animation. Anyhow, for the arts report, this is Jordi Yao on CITR 101.9 FM. And thanks to Jordy for that report. Report, sorry. All of the music that you heard in that piece was by Hooliganship, which is one of the many artists involved in Cartoon Express Roadshow. I, I believe they were actually the uh, leaders behind the whole idea. So. Um, their band will be returning to Vancouver later this month to perform one final show as part of the PUSH International Performing Arts Festival. And that will happen on Saturday, January 31st at 9 p.m. at Club PUSH, which is located at Performance Work 1218 Cartwright Street right here in Vancouver. And uh, CITR has a partnership with the PUSH Festival this year. So hopefully on the Arts Report you'll be hearing a lot of reviews, a lot of interviews, etc. regarding all the amazing things that will be going on in Vancouver. The PUSH Festival is a, is really unlike any other festival you get here in Canada. We get artists from across the country, in the U.S., and around the world coming right here to share their talents and to inform each other on to what the new sort of things are going on in their mediums and around the world. All right, and if you want to find out more about Cartoon Express, you can visit their website at cartoon.hooliganship.com. I mean, that's Cartoon Express, C-A-R-T-U-N-E-X-P-R-E-Z dot hooliganship, H-O-O-L-I-G-A-N-S-H-I-P dot com. Now, so um, I know, I don't know if you have noticed, but there has been a lot of white stuff kicking around Vancouver these days, and I'm not talking about the cream between your Oreo cookies. I'm talking snow here, people. Piles and piles of snow. Now, being from Ontario myself, I'm quite happy to see so much slush around, but when it comes to traveling through it, well, that's a whole other matter entirely. Seriously, Vancouver really does need to learn how to drive in the snow. I mean, the buses come to an absolute halt. In an inch of snow, an inch of snow falls and suddenly the city is on lockdown. It's insanity. But for those of us who are used to traveling on bicycles, like myself, getting around these days can really be, uh, well, a death trap, actually. So, on Christmas Eve, I paid a visit to my favorite bike guy, Dan Atkinson, who owns Dan's Bike Shop on West Broadway between Waterloo and Collingwood. 
I sat down with Jan, with Dan for a couple of minutes to talk about uh, what bikers should be looking out for when they are riding in this weather. And with over 30 years experience of riding and repairing bikes, here's what Dan had to say. All right. So I'm here at Dan's Bike Shop, which is at Broadway and Waterloo. And I'm sure bikers these days, looking out at the snow, especially today, it is um, certainly coming down. They might think that this is their Waterloo for the season. But I've asked Dan, who is my bike guy and who I trust incredibly uh, about all bike matters, no problem, um, to share some tips and advice for those bikers who do decide to brave the storm. Dan, you told me you... uh, you biked here to work today. Well, I knew you were coming in, so I figured I had to. I've been biking in the snow every time, every year, no problems. Today was the worst. I glided. I almost fell. I had to switch from the road to the sidewalk, back again, shake the bike a couple of times, clear the brakes. Uh, all in all, I got a really good workout, a really good <laughs> workout. A really good workout in only six blocks. Six blocks. <laughs> so I don't think today is a good day to go out on your bike. But generally, when it's snowing, uh, if you know a couple of tricks, you can get a, a, around it. Well, what would be your number one tip for those bikers who do end up going out? And what sort of conditions are best, even if there is snow on the ground, to uh, take the bike out in? Well, the first thing is, if you've got a skinny tire bike, whether it's a hybrid or a road bike, you're not going to get very far. Uh, mountain bikes definitely are better. You can get tires with studs in them. A uh, guy I was talking to said that they were great on the ice, but the snow didn't make any difference. Uh, one of the main things that I found is that the conditions vary from day to day. So the first day of the snow, if you can find fresh snow that nobody's touched, untouched by cars, you can glide through that stuff and really enjoy it. It's almost like skiing. But as soon as the cars get into it and you get tracks, then you can get misled into thinking, oh, I'll go on the track and everything will be fine. But if the snow gets compressed, it gets icy, and you get sent flying. So you really have to approach it uh, more that, yes, I will be gliding and use anything you've learned from skiing or skating, uh, boarding, into applying it to your bike riding. Right, and obviously everyone who is going out there should be wearing their helmet and colorful gear. That's, yeah, you got to be wearing the helmet, colorful gear, uh, lights. uh, And another thing I just remembered is you got to put your saddle down because you really want to be a tripod when you need to be. And if you can just barely reach the ground, you're going to be on your butt pretty quick. So I've got my saddle down almost to the bottom. I've put it into the easiest gear of possible. Uh, One thing I noticed uh, last night heading home was that my brakes weren't working at all. At first I thought maybe that the lines had frozen and there was water in them. But what had happened was snow had built up between the brake and the tire, and I had to clear that out before I could brake again. Okay, that brings up a good point, because I leave my bike outside, and I took it out yesterday, and I had no problems getting around on the on Broadway here and on Alma. But what are some things to check for before you, if you are leaving your bike outside, or if, if, there is, well, if it's been outside for a while? Like, the main thing, in Vancouver especially, is uh, if you leave your bike out in the winter, and you don't clean it, and you don't care the, take care of the brakes and stuff, you're going to pay for it out of your pocket. But as some people justify it, uh, rather than do the work themselves, they'll let it go, bring it into their mechanic, get him to fix everything. However, if you're the handy kind of person, it doesn't hurt to have a towel nearby. And if you do have to leave your bike outside, see if you can put a 40-watt bulb out there with it under some kind of cover. It does have to dry out, otherwise the water will stay in there. 
we're living by the ocean, so we get some salt in the air, and things corrode pretty quickly. People are quite surprised when they come out after two or three days and see their bikes uh, rust. So uh, just wipe it down. A bit more oil is not bad. Don't overdo it, otherwise you'll pick up a lot of grit, and that stuff will actually wear things out faster than if you hadn't oiled it at all. Mm. I think the one thing that I've noticed a lot is that, well, not today, but on after a couple of days, a couple of days after it's snowed, you'll get the hard-packed ice, right? especially in the bike lanes, because those don't get oh, yeah, cleared as much. How, what's, what's the best, if you do feel like you're about to bail on your bike, what's, the best, what's your best advice? Well, from personal experience, what I tried to do, and it didn't work, but it worked out, I guess, best in the end, is that I tried to swing it around almost as if it was a long ski. I wanted to get both tires into the snow that hadn't been touched by cars. I figured I could get a good purchase there. Uh, it didn't work out that way. But I did present my rear end to the ground first. That's what I hit. Gal ran over and said, are you hurt? And I said, nah, just my pride. Oh, oh just a little bit of pride. I think, I think it's heroic for any of us to be out there on our bikes these days. Well, what I found was it was faster than walking. Uh, I'm not a bus person. I'd rather be on my bike even on a day like today. But you know what? Uh, just for a short haul, yeah, it's a bit of fun on a day like today. But you know what? Uh, let the the city clean up the streets a bit before you go out there. And the other problem is there's a whole bunch of drivers that have no clue what they're doing in this weather. And the last thing you want to be is a target for them when they're slip sliding all over the place. Absolutely. I think that's something to keep in mind that most drivers aren't experienced in driving in this weather, let alone bikers. So be safe out there. Thanks, Dan, so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. And it's too bad you didn't ride your bike. Well, I will ride my bike the next time I come on over, and uh, I'll have to get you. Just to be fair, I'm not riding my bike home. It can stay here for Christmas. Fair enough. And uh, if you're going to be cracking open that rum later anyways, that's that's best. (laughs) All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That was my conversation with Dan Atkinson, the owner of Dan's Bike Shop at 3424 West Broadway. I recorded that on Christmas Eve, and um, since then I've been taking my bike out as often as possible. And for the record, I did bike to school today, despite the snow, despite the rain, and, well, despite probably most people's better intentions or ideas of how to travel in this weather but it was a beautiful bike ride and i'm very glad i did it i will be biking tomorrow and hopefully for the rest of 2009 uh dan's bike shop is uh open from tuesdays to saturdays noon to 7 p.m and he's the only guy i trust with my bike i take my bike into him all the time to get even a little bit of oil to getting new tires when Things go horribly, horribly wrong. So, Dan, yeah, thanks so much for that interview. I'm going to break for a minute for a quick PSA, and then I'll be back with the Arts Report. This is Tracy Fuller on CITR 101.9 FM. CineWorks Independent Filmmaker Society is excited to present The Soft Revolution, an interactive cinematic installation by Vancouver-based media artists Brian Johnson and Anthony Roberts. A three-channel, vignette-based film, The Soft Revolution's dramatic and often comedic character-driven vignettes based on the Taoist principles of the I Ching show the pivotal experiences of a year in the life of a vibrant, complicated Gulf Islands family. 
an immersive cinematic experience, the soft revolution explodes the frame of traditional cinema by allowing for avenues of immediacy on January 22nd at 7 p.m. at the Interim Gallery on 1 East Hastings Street. The artists will be in attendance. Welcome back to the Arts Report. It's about 20 after 5 on Wednesday, November 6th, 2000... um, Wednesday, January 6th, excuse me, 2009. Gosh, okay. So, um, starting this part of the show, I just wanted to... uh, I'm taking account of some of the things that I left over from 2008, and I wanted to draw your attention to a couple of uh, the artists, musicians, and um, important people we lost in 2008. Among them, Paul Newman, Jeff Healy, Betty Page, Frankie Venom, the lead singer of Teenage Head, Heath Ledger, Eartha Kitt, Charlton Heston, Bo Diddley, George Carlin, William F. Buckley, Sidney Pollock, Bernie Mac, and so many, many more. A lot of people died this past year. Uh, in my own life, two very important people died. Um, my, a close friend of mine's father, Edward, he died of um, Lou Gehrig's disease earlier this year. Um, we all miss him very much. And my adopted aunt, Susie White, died just this past November. And uh, I miss her very much. And as a tribute to these people, there's a beautiful song by Christine Fellows called Vertebrae, which she wrote for her grandfather when he died. And um, I just thought that this is a good way to me- remember all the people that we have lost this year. And uh, it's just a beautiful song. So I hope you enjoy it. A of a family in mourning perforated ever so slightly to better let the light seep through Sunday traffic clears a path we float in chairs above the road close our eyes and drive so slow like we never need to get home I don't remember this 
should go Is it so hard to leave? Why, when you know you should go Is it so hard to leave? Why, when you know you should go Is it so hard to leave? Why, when you know you should go Okay, that was Christine Fellows with Vertebrae. And now for something completely different. Um, I asked my theater, my movie critic, sorry, uh, Adam Thomas, to uh, give me his top five films for 2008. And I called him up last week to find out what films he chose. And um, as part of that, I've put together this mashup of teasers for you. And then I'll get to uh, my conversation with Adam. But here, take a listen to this. These are, this is a, a, a mix-up of all of Adam's top hits. Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. Where did you meet this person? I met her on the internet. Yeah, well, everybody's doing that now. You know, Bianca's um, a missionary. <clears throat> My little brother is crazy, right? He's crazy. If I may, he appears to have a delusion. What the hell is he doing with a delusion? Fantastic. When will it be over? When he doesn't need it anymore. visitor where did you meet this person i met her on the internet yeah well everybody's doing that now you know bianca's um a missionary <clears throat> my little brother is crazy right he's crazy if i may he appears to have a delusion what the hell is he doing with a delusion fantastic when will it be over when he doesn't need it anymore Show us what you can do. Um, are they gonna watch or should I just wait until I get back to work or something? Just hit it. Oh, yeah. Get ready to feel the thunder. You come out of crazy feet. What are you gonna do about crazy feet? I'm a blur. I'm a blur. You never seen bear style. Would you hit it? How's that? Everybody was Are you ready? I was born ready. Guy died, put him on a gurney, he was gone. Go about your business, keep working. That's the first time I started taking photos. Everybody knew. Everybody that was inside of that prison, they had the pictures. They gave me thousands of pictures from Abu Ghraib. How could all this go on without anybody noticing it? The fear of the truth silenced people. 
Next thing you know, boom, incoming. Everyone's yelling incoming. How'd you hurt your arm? My fib. Me too. I'll tell you a story. Close your eyes. There were five of them. The Indian, the ex-slave, an explosive expert, Charles Darwin, and the masked Bent. They had one common enemy, Governor Odious. Is Odious bad man? Oh, yeah. First, I need a favor. You always stop at the same part when it's very beautiful. Do you want me to finish the story? Be a good bandit. So that's a little teaser of what Adam and I, Adam chose for his top five films. And here's our conversation from last Wednesday. So, Adam, I, it's the end of 2008, and there have been a number of different movies that have come in and out of the theaters this year. Thanks so much for um, deciding to share your top five with us today. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, it's, you know, always kind of a challenge and uh, a fun thing to, you know, look back and try to pull or cull, you know, uh, any kind of top list from uh, from the hundreds of movies that, uh, you know, that are out there all, all throughout the year, so... And it's so funny, you get to this time of year and everyone's putting together these kinds of lists and I, I must admit that most of them often look very similar and um, some of them are just wrong in terms of my opinion, but I guess that's everybody has their own um, movie tastes and depending on what people do get out to see, uh, it really fluctuates. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, like you said, I think a lot of the times, you, you know, among critics anyways, you see a lot of the, sort of the top movies get sort of relisted and relisted, and um, you wonder, you know, are there any other ones out there that are really good? And, you know, um, I mean, there can be definitely useful to sort of maybe if you haven't, you haven't been able to decide what to go see or whatever, but, um, you know, sometimes, I, sometimes it's fun to take a little chance. I pretty sure that there's a couple on there that might uh, on my list that I don't know I haven't seen on any of the other critics lists lately so it's hopefully uh, that'll that'll again will be useful for people you know definitely well let's get to it what's your number five pick for 2008 my number five pick um, I've chosen uh, a documentary called standard operating procedure by uh, the uh, you know the famed documentary filmmaker Errol Morris people Um, might know his previous film um, uh, what's it called uh, There's the Thin Blue Line. Thin Blue Line. Also, um, 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 Mr. Death he did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he's made a lot of number, a number of really good documentaries over the years. Um, he was friends with Werner Herzog back in the old days. Um, and originally, Werner Herzog was his mentor. And Errol Morris put up a challenge, or Werner Herzog challenged Errol Morris to make a documentary and said, if you make a documentary, I'll eat my shoe. Oh. Um, and in fact, there is a documentary which shows Errol, uh, Werner Herzog eating his boot, boiling his boot, and eating it um, after Errol Morris produces his very first documentary. So oh. that's pretty awesome. Um, but Errol Morris is great. He's been able to, over the years, really transform the whole process of making a documentary. He sort of recreates a lot of stuff. Um, he uses, you know, um, 
set design and actors to often to replay um, actual events. Um, that movie, Thin Blue Line, in fact, was so convincing. It was about a murder of a, hi- a highway patrolman, and this man had been arrested for this murder, and Errol Morris found that there, thought that there had been a lot of problems in the case and went back and examined all the evidence, and through the course of the film actually uh, managed to convince a jury and a judge that the uh, evidence was lacking, and the guy got off because of the film. Wow. Talk about the power of movies. Yeah, definitely. But um, this so the standard, standard operating procedure is basically about um, the um, the events that happened in Abu Ghraib um, in back, I guess, a couple of years ago. And um, people might be really familiar, definitely, with the pictures that were that came out of that prison um, with a prisoners' abuse. Maybe um, there were photographs of prisoner, prisoners being chained up with like dogs mm-hmm. um, oh, man, and on a leash, with on a leash and hanging with a hood on their head, being yes. Electrocuted and that kind of thing. So Errol Morris basically goes back and um, looks at, examines sort of that kind of situation, that exact situation. And his big question is, what what made these photographs happen? Like, we understand, we see the photographs, but there are circumstances that led up to that that sort of allowed for that those kind of behaviors and that kind of those kind of photographs to actually happen. And his basic premise is that there is so much we don't see outside of the photograph, mm-hmm. um, that the photograph only op- offers a minute scope of what is actually happening. And he basically examines all this and um, through a series of reenactments sort of shows that there's a, a descending order of power that allows for this kind of behavior to be um, tolerated. And, um, and it's not so much like necessarily just vindictive policing as a lack of coherent authority um, and you know these these kinds of situations and there's a pretty harrowing indictment of the military occupation in in Iraq um, and I mean there's a lot of movies like that but this by far certainly takes the medium um, as message i guess in a way to mm. to a really you know a much greater extent definitely and it was a huge hit at the toronto film festival this year and uh i'm really glad you included uh this film on the on the list actually because i think it's uh, it's one of many documentaries that i think are, should be getting more attention and should be seen by more people in theaters nowadays yeah definitely um and you know his, his movies are really watchable they're not just like documentaries of you know taking such a big turn they're not just these sort of static talking head movies anymore they they are really full-fledged films right right so on to number four. Okay, well number four is um, might prove a little controversial here, not not in terms of content, but in terms of the year. This is the movie called The Fall. Um, by, well, I must admit, um, I've never heard of this film. Okay, well The Fall is directed by um, a commercial um, uh, photographer um, named Tarsum Singh, and the movie was originally shot in 2006. However. Uh, it did the festival circuit for a couple of years, and it finally came out in theaters briefly in 2008. Um, um, but it did win the uh, or was nominated for the for no for best cinematography award in 2008. So I mm-hmm. felt like I was okay in including it because it was 
and it is also such a gorgeous film that, um, you know, at the risk of, you know, pushing other movies that are legitimately, firmly legitimately in 2008, this one sort of crosses over, and it's definitely um, one of the more beautiful films to come out in the past couple of years. Yeah, I would definitely uh, encourage listeners to check out the trailer on YouTube, which is found really easily by just typing in The Fall. Yeah. And it looks... This movie reminds me sort of of a mix of Stardust, of The Princess Bride, but it's got this monochromatic, like, beautiful colors, and it just seems like a... a uh, it reminded me a little bit of um, Pan's Labyrinth, I guess. Well, that's that's definitely there's certainly um, you know certainly I wouldn't say nods, but there are sort of affinities to those all of those films. Um, it is is in a just you know brief description, I guess I would suggest it's it's like a. a, a, a a more gentle Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, mm-hmm. the essential plot line of the story um, is almost secondary to the the look of the film. But but by saying that, it, it sort of I don't want to reduce it to simply oh it's only a visual film because the story is actually really sweet and the uh, the lead actress in the in the film is a um, a really young girl um, and she is fantastic. Um, her name is uh, Kentika Antaru, and she is just the sweetest actor to come out in years. The best child actor I can th- I can think I can remember. Um, and the basic story is that she is a young um, migrant orange worker in Los Angeles in the 1930s, and she hurts herself and is in hospital. And there she meets a injured stunt Hollywood stuntman. Hmm. Um, and they become friends, and through the course of the film, he tells her a story. Um, and the story is what we see as the sort of the other side of the film is the elaborate set designed, wild character, you know, kind of the world of imagination, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, her, it's all her imagination. But meanwhile, really, he's he's addicted to uh, morphine, and he's telling her stories, her story to continually sort of manipulate her to get him more more morphine. Um, okay. And it's a really beautiful sort of you know, movie about friendship and also about her commitment to try to help him in the end. Um, and the story, while it doesn't follow a very super strong linear path because it's her imagination, it's so fun and has so much heart and in, in it that it, you know, it's sort of, which is a real beauty to behold. I mean, the movie took four years to make and he shot, apparently shot it in over 18 countries. Wow. Um, some of the most beautiful places on earth and he was touring the director Tarsam Singh was traveling around shooting commercials and every time he saw a place where in the world where he thought it would be gorgeous he would finish the commercial and then pick up and start shooting parts of his film amazing well definitely check it out I'm sure people can find it in video stores these days yeah yeah that, no it is definitely in video stores now so All that's right. That's definitely one to, you know, it's a, it's definitely one to watch. Well, I uh, want to get to your top three. So, uh, okay. next on the list. Next on the list is, um, you know, the No Hold Bard, um, Kung Fu Panda. I thought by Mark Osborne. <laughs> that one was just a real blast, and it did so much for both kind of both forms of animation, uh, with you know, winking nods to all the kung fu movies of the past, and um, a real, you know, a real sweet center. And um, I think that you know. If you can just let down your guard and go, okay, it's just like, you know, it's an animated film for mm-hmm. kids, but it's much it's more than that. The action sequences are really great. The battle, you know, fighting stuff, awesome. And, mm-hmm. 
Um, just, you know, just a you know, good lot of fun. I'm surprised you didn't put Wally there on your on, on the list rather than... Well, I thought about that. I debated about Wally, um, and I, I really loved the first, you know, third of the film. I got bored by the humans Very a little nice. bit in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought the movie was really great, but Kung Fu Panda for me just had so much more sort of uh, just real pleasure. Um, nice. and, I, and I really thought Ian McShane as uh, Tai Lung, the uh, evil snowcat, uh, was was so awesome so Great. well that was a real fun one for me so number two number two is um again crossing the um time barrier here a little bit um is the movie lars and the real girl by craig craig uh, gillespie mm-hmm. um that movie came out in 2007 but it has been nominated for awards uh, for a 2008 oscar mm-hmm. um so i counted it there and that was mi- mostly one of the Probably my favorite little um, American independent film of the of the year. Um, a total surprise. I avoided it like the plague at the beginning. Um, the premise being that a sort of a neurotic and shy man who can't maintain any friendships with real people um, orders a blow up doll in the mail and then treats her as a human woman. And then um, the whole I have seen this film and the whole town. It's in, he lives in a small town. Correct. Um, just they go with it because they love him so much that uh, they w- they want this to work out for him, knowing that he's never been able to have a relationship with a real woman. Yeah, it's something that, and it was sort of the the, the subtle treatment and acknowledgement of mental illness in the film was played up, but not played over in a weird way. Um, I thought that the it was really touching to see these people, um, you know, sort of go along with it. When And they avoided all the major pitfalls that I expected um, f- from a film like this. There was none of this sort of um, teenage revelry in, you know, T&A or playing with, like, the idea of the sex doll or any right. of that. This, this, it kind of, the movie totally sidestepped all those things. And to me, that was a really, you know, a really smart writing choice and a real relief from sort of the, you know, you know, moronic kind of high school jinx movies that I would have, I would, stuff I would have imagined would have come out from a, a sort of a, a gag with having a blow up This doll. kind of premise, yeah. Yeah, and the acting was really great and the script really held together. So it was a real surprise and um, definitely, you know, I thought it was um, definitely, a, you know, one of the top movies of the year. Definitely. So, speaking of which, what is number one? Well, okay, this is my, this is my <laughs> you know, this is going to be the easy one, I think. Um, I, I, picked a, I picked Batman, of course. Yes, well, The Dark Knight. Um, um, I th- the Dark Knight, I, I don't know, there's not too much to say except that, you know, the, uh, the late Heath Ledger's performance is absolutely one of the best bad guys ever. Yeah. And every second he was on screen it was a pleasure and it wasn't because you know i was watching you know i knew he was dead it was just his performance was so gripping and so wild and fun and dark um that you know it was like get rid of batman let's make a movie about the just keep this movie about the joker and um you know it it should go down as definitely one of the best bad guy performances in the history of film i completely agree and uh i i think that if you haven't seen Batman yet, go. It's in video stores now. Go and see it. It's. I. I am not a big action movie fan, but I really, really love this film. I. I think it stands up to the original Batman Returns as being the same feeling of a of a Batman movie. But uh, God, it's just a great performance and a a really good action film. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Has it has sort of a really good character for a for that you know a comic book kind of film, and um, just a, a good narrative arc. All of those things are really there, and then and then you know um, Heath Ledger Heath Ledger just seals the deal for me. So absolutely. Well, thanks, Adam, so much for giving us your top five. Happy New Year to you, and we'll speak to you again in two thousand and nine. Awesome, Tracy. Thanks so much. No Have a great New Year. You too. That was filmmaker Adam Thomas talking to me on December 31st. And just to recap, Adam's top five films for 2008 were The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan, Lars and the Real Girl by Craig Gillespie, Kung Fu Panda, directed by Mark Osborne, The Fall, directed by Tarsum Singh, and Standard Operating Procedure, directed by Errol Morris. Now, turning from films to music, let's talk a little bit about LPs, shall we? So there was an article in the Vancouver Sun this Monday that said vinyl record sales in North America have doubled in 2008. That's going from almost 2 million units being sold compared to just under a million units the year before. That's when I say units, I'm referring to LPs or records. And so I've asked our music director here at CITR, Luke Meat, to come into the studio to... uh, sort of explain why this pheno- he thinks this phenomenon is happening and perhaps share a couple of uh, anecdotes with us. Pleasure to be here, Tracy. Thanks, Luke. So um, so what's the deal? Why, why are people buying records? Well, there, the first thing that comes to mind is definitely um, the advent of the USB turntable, where it has a USB jack that you can dump your old records onto your computer, therefore you can listen to them on your iPod or whatever digital service that you kind of use. And it also... Um, the thing about vinyl is, that, is that's really interesting is that it's never going to go away because people like owning, for one thing. You know, people like showing off big and, and like record covers are works of art, and yeah. they're, that's what's really quite the the allure of them. But also, there's this thing where um, they still sound better. Like mm-hmm. that's that's always. I mean, MP3s don't sound good. You know, right. cassettes never sounded good. Eight tracks never sounded good. Vinyl always sounds good if you take care of it and you have a decent needle. And um, there's still the argument that if you have a perfect, a mint condition, 180 gram vinyl record with a decent needle, it will sound better than a, than a CD. And I, I, I'm as a vinyl junkie myself, I can definitely agree with that. Um, there's an old, uh, there's a big story though that happened in June last year. Um, at the Best Buy in Portland, Oregon, there was a kid that uh, made a mistake on the ordering in the uh, music department. He ordered accidentally something like 80 of the new REM album. He he accidentally ordered the LPs as opposed rather. to the CD rather than the CDs. They came in and they sold within two days. And Best Buy kind of took a look at that and went, whoa, people are interested in this. And therefore started doing little test markets in Best Buys. And apparently they've been doing not too bad. Now, the question that occurs to me from this story is, well, right now, a lot of people are buying their LPs from independent music stores, smaller music stores that are specializing in good music who aren't the big box stores, who have a name, who have a reputation. Are, do you think that if Best Buy starts selling LPs, they'll be jeopardizing this smaller independent record store market? I seriously don't think so because when Virgin Superstore was in Vancouver, it had an incredible vinyl selection, mm-hmm. but it was no different than anything that you could find at Zulu and find at Scratch. And people's priorities when it comes to, like, they... They pick the record stores pretty they're, – they're pretty diehard when it comes to um, – there wasn't a price war or anything. They were charging the exact same amount as Zulu and Scratch. 
and therefore people just went and helped out the little guy rather than the giant conglomerate. I don't think there's going to be a conflict of interest. I also, though, that being said, I don't really see the so-called average music listener going out and starting a record collection. Like, I don't think they're going to start out, start going out and buying like Celine Dion records and stuff like that. Be that. Be, Let's hope not. <laughs> that being said, though, this is another funny thing about vinyl. Is uh, CBS Records has started up this deluxe um, reissuing of their so-called classic albums, and we all just had a laugh. Me and my fellow music snobs. The first album that they introduced into this series, it's a deluxe. Uh, gatefold cover and 180 gram vinyl gorgeous packaging Mm -hmm. it's billy joel the stranger that they're putting out really and (laughs) that record to us as we call it that is about as rare as rat doo-doo i mean you can go to the salvation army and pick it up for 25 cents there's no reason why and the funny the most ironic thing is that cbs records was one of the first companies to ever push cds on onto a general public Hmm. so it's funny that they're regressing a little bit you know going back to the old needle and vinyl well, that's that's interesting because it touches on the top two selling album LP albums last year were, what were they? Uh, Radiohead's In Rainbows, mm-hmm. and then the close runner-up was The Beatles' Abbey Road. Well, with, fan- fantastic. Was it yeah. digitally redone or yeah. anything like that? Yeah. Uh, for one thing, I can attest to with In Rainbows was In Rainbows was only put out on a, as on computer. Oh, okay. And hence back to the tangibility factors. Right. People wanted to own it, you mm-hmm. know. And so you got a chance to listen to it, you know, but. Uh, you you can't you can't flip through a person's MP3 collection. I'm sorry, it doesn't right. work that way, and that's uh, kind of what I really enjoy. You know why I've got my big old IKEA shelf full of vinyl. You right. know, um, definitely. So, do you think that this is going to be a continuing trend? I think it'll stay. I don't think it's going to really, really increase. I think it's going to slowly, gradually, kind of ebb and it'll it'll just kind of flow a little bit. It's not going to totally zenith up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the people that do buy records are consistently going to stick to buying records and that uh, record companies and stuff are going to realize that people can easily just as well buy a record as they can a CD. And here's hoping at least. Well, it occurs to me that perhaps we'll have a little bit of Back to the Future and perhaps CDs will be on the decline. LPs will remain... They yeah. already are. I know. People I mean, I'm listening. trying to purge my CD collection right now, and I yeah. can't find any takers because it's really? just, yeah, it's just, and they're all, these are good discs if you don't, if there's any <laughs> listeners out there. No. Um, but yeah, like I, I know that Zulu is, uh, Zulu and the and the reliable independents that you that usually buy and stuff, like mm-hmm. buy used, they just don't have any interest in it because they can't flip it over. People right. aren't buying CDs anymore. Right. So. If you're already a CD addict, you're going for MP3s. And if you care yep. about the quality of the sound, you're going back to LPs. Yep. Hmm. End of story. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Luke. Thank you, Tracy. No problem. All right, I recorded that in our external studio earlier today with Luke. Luke Meat is the music coordinator here at CITR, and I was really glad to talk to him today. Now, our illustrious National Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, has launched a new series. It started this Monday night, and it's called Being Erica. The show stars Vancouver's Erin Karplunk, and play, and she plays a, quote, 30-something cubicle drone who is sidelined by life and love. But what does that really tell you? I mean, really, what does, what does that mean? So I downloaded the CBC's promo for the show, and uh, here's a little more information about being Erica. Meet Erica Strange. Hey! Erica. Her life hasn't exactly gone as planned. Do you know that thing about people that peak in high school? That might be me. 
What are you doing? Now, with a little help, she's going back. Do you want to fix your problems or not? Yes! to turn her life around. You sent me back in time. Indeed. Wait, wait, wait. We have a lot of work to do, you and me. Being Erica. Don't miss the series premiere tonight at 9 on CBC. All right. So um, that male, you voice, male voice you heard was uh, Erica's psychiatrist or therapist who tries to help Erica by sending her back in time. Yes, back in time so that she can have a second shot at all of her life's most regretful gaffes. Yes, that is the premise of this new CBC series. Well, I brought in my CBC specialist, Amy Hadley, to the studio today to discuss this latest offering from the CBC and find out from her whether Erica, whether being Erica is a hit or a miss, what she thinks lies in store for more TV dramas at the CBC, and what the future in general holds rather than the past. Amy, thank you for joining me. It's, it's no problem, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I'm just so happy to finally be considered a specialist in something. <laughs> Do I have to give you money now? Um, probably, but we'll take care of that oh. after the show. Um, so, um, so, Amy, what, do you, what did you think of being Erica? Well, Tracy, I'm, you know I'm a CBC fan of way back. I was weaned on this stuff. I have multiple CBC items of clothing. I'm usually carrying a CBC bag. Um, it's true, I, folks. I wouldn't have watched this if, if you hadn't asked me to. Uh, and, AKA uh, forced. And you. it lived up to expectations, the kind of expectations that I expect from a station that had last year's stellar lineup of that spasmodic Sophie Twit and uh, MVP, which I think stands for most vacuous plotline, possibly most <laughs> vapid. Like, is there a V word that just means incredibly stupid? Although I did watch it. It was kind of addictive. I, I think that vapid... But don't tell anyone. <laughs> I kept it a secret. Right. Um, no, just, just our listening audience, all 14,000 of them. Well, you don't I, know my last... You said my last name. Yes, I did. But back to being Erica. <clears throat> um, what is it? What what is it that you find so very uh, reprehensible? Okay, let's go back over the plot line again. For those of you who've forgotten, her magic therapist sends her back in time to high school. Need I say more? I mean, this is right out of a teeny bopper film start. Like, it should have been starring Lindsay Lohan and, and put on the Disney Channel. But I, I must admit... If you can still put Lindsay Lohan on the Disney Channel, well, that, probably not. That's, another, that's a whole other debate. But um, I, I think that the, they are working off of a model that has worked before. Oh, for sure. Um, like I... When I mentioned... When we were watching this together, I mentioned Ugly Betty and how Ugly Betty is essentially The Devil Wears Prada, only a TV show. And The Devil Wears Prada was a very popular movie. Ugly Betty has become a very popular TV show, and it's just using a trope that people are familiar with and that they like. Why can't the same work for being Erica? Well, I mean, it's going to attract some audience, just the way it attracted me to, to MVP, because it was so like delightfully awful that my friends and I just couldn't resist mm. watching it <laughs> to see how awful it could get. But this one... This was just kind of a normal level of awful, so I probably won't tune in for the, that aspect. Um, and, but people will tune into it. I mean, it's a very familiar kind of predictable plot line. It's the kind of American sitcom plot line that I think CBC is grabbing onto more and more in an attempt to, to boost ratings. And I mean, I'm not saying bring back the road to Avonlea, but <laughs> I am saying yes. this is maybe not uh, going to hold on to your core audience. Like, like That's... That's another core audience like you, and that's another question I had because at the beginning of the show, there is a warning that there will be, like, suggestive content. That, and... that I always support. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. No, but... 
But who is the audience for this show? When I was watching it, I really did feel like it was aimed towards a, a younger, maybe 15 to 20-year-old population, but it really doesn't sound in, in all their promo material and in, uh, I guess, the 30-something aspect of, of Erica's character. That doesn't seem to be like the people they're trying to talk to. Well, with this show, I mean, it seems like it seems like a program aimed aimed at women, um, and it seems like they're going for a, a younger audience. You know, I, I, honestly, I think they're going for people who come home from work and they're tired and they have to make the kids something and they just want to watch something that's complete candy, which this is. Fair enough. But do you oh, think it'll survive? No. No, I can't see it. Like, how many times can she go back in time to another moment in her life if you're talking about this particular program? Yes. No. Well, uh, well, because, I mean, MVP, for example, was cut by, by Christmas of last year. So was J-Pod, which arguably I J-Pod thought was... J-Pod was good. Yeah, I thought it was one of, the, one of the most advanced or moving forward steps that CBC has taken it, in their TV programming in a long time. I really liked it. It was quirky. It was funny. I don't and, know. I don't know. If, if if you could come up with a TV show for CBC, like, what would you want to see on there? Well, hmm. I, I don't know. It's something about me, maybe? Like, a show about me? That'd be good. Right. Well, I don't know, but not more of this, Tracy, because, okay, I'll just, I'll just tell people that my favorite moment in this program. It's where her magic therapist shows up at her high school where she's gone back in time to fix her puking at the high school dance embarrassing moment, and he shows up outside of the high school as a hot dog vendor <laughs> to serve her coffee and some hackneyed quotes like he often does. Um, and uh, I just... I couldn't think of a more cliched scene. What are you, a vegetarian? Well, maybe I could. Maybe I could get hired to write for this program. <laughs> I, In I, which I... case, great program. I support it. CBC, keep, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Amy Hadley is my CBC specialist. Thank you for joining me today, Amy. Thank you for having me, Tracy. No problem. All right. And that about brings us to the end of the Arts Report for Wednesday, January 6th, 2009. Be sure to tune in next week for an interview with singer, songwriter, spoken word artist Hilary Peach, a preview of the PUSH International Festival for Performing Arts, a discussion about arts schools in Canada, and music by Kathleen Edwards and the Wintermits, and much, much more. Until then, please do take care of yourselves. Uh, there's lots of snow out there, like I mentioned earlier in the show. And so you want to make sure you've got your snow tires on, your warm gloves on, your hats, and your gloves. And if you want to drop me a line here at CITR.ca, you can do that if you want. And until then, bike safely, have a great night, and see you soon.